Welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels, a Malifaux podcast. Episode 14 Getting Scooped by Kyle Stones and Dinosaur Cavalry for President. They decided that the best place to set up their potluck would be the empty desk next to somebody who was attempting to work. And they would just like go in and out of that pod. Because like we have two desks in every pod. And they would go in and out of that pod and be really loud while they got their food while this poor guy was trying to work. And they like moved chairs all over the building. And they like they took an entire computer out of a meeting room. A whole computer. So. And welcome back to Steam-Powered <laughs> oh. Scoundrels. Oh, yeah, I'm leaving that entire monologue. You're going to leave that entire um, rant? Oh, great. Be- before yeah. we do this, I need to interrupt. I just found an Alt-Hannah being sold on the internet, and I'm oh. very intrigued by this. Oh, son of a bitch. Oh. Is it over 100 bucks yet? I don't know. Price on negotiation. It's fully painted, too. Where? Oh, hmm. crap. No, um, never mind, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got through the that intro and already <laughs> sidetracked. We're constantly sidetracked. That's part of the show. Okay, can you guys see that picture? That's the that's the Hannah. Oh, is that in the Discord? Yeah. It's in Australia though. So like Ugh. it would be hella expensive. Do I have and I'm to also go- broke. Do I have to go to Australia to get it? Well, I think they ship things, but still. Where there it is. Like good. <laughs> I need to turn I need to turn off the computer's uh bing bong uh, sounds. Yeah, turn the bongs off. Mmm. I don't care for that paint job. Yeah. I'm no. just gonna throw that out there. But like The cat, I'm relatively certain the cat bit the head off of my Hannah. Does oh. Hannah not have a head? Oh, it, it, That's it, I found it on the table, thank goodness, so I reattached it, but, like, oh. the head is relatively protected on that model. There's really no way it would just fall off like that. You being an asshole? Are you being an asshole? That's a day? yes from the cat. So, back back on track for uh, at least a little bit here. Hey, welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels. It's been a little while since we've done this format. I think January was the last time. Probably. Probably around that. But uh, this is obviously the best way for us to talk about two very important topics to uh, hear for us at Scoundrels. Uh, one, we just got Excuse back me. from MuseCon, and by just got back, I mean like several days ago because we're slow. We needed to recover. Yes, recovery time. But that was an absolute blast. Uh, at least it was for me, and I'm sure these other people here would agree with me that uh, we had a lot of fun playing a lot of Malifaux. And uh, we'll just go do some recaps and talk about some stuff we found interesting and things we want to let other people know. So, And after that, we get to go over the new 8th faction from Malifaux, the Explorer Society. Uh, well, for those that you don't know, that don't know, um, the Explorer Society was revealed as the 8th faction from Malifaux. And so we get to go talk about that and do some speculation stuff and the things I'm really good at because I'm not very good at the game. <laughs> so, first up, MuseCon! Yay! Yay! Oh, Yay! by the way, oh, sorry, never mind. We didn't have MuseCon because Malifaux is dead. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yes. 
Yep, it's it no di- longer it's, exists. It's a dying game, and the the models that are coming out are garbage, and the rules are garbage, and no one wants to play it. So, actually, we had the biggest MuseCon turnout we've ever had, and maybe the con has only been around for four years. So, I mean, growth is a great thing, but we had 22 people show up on Saturday and 16 stay for the Sunday tournament, two, two different tournaments instead of a bigger one. And uh, everyone, I guess I never did introductions. Hi, I'm Doug, <laughs> Douglas Scoundrels. Uh, with me, as always, is my wife, Victoria. Hello. Then there's Brian. Hey, how's it going? And Roman. Glad to be back. The brothers. The twins. Hey, we are different people. <laughs> we just uh, look identical. Okay? Different people, though. You look and sl- one of us is slightly taller. <laughs> one of you is slightly taller. <laughs> yes. Slightly. If you ever see slightly. those two together, look, they do, you guys do look kind of like brothers or cousins or something. Oh, yeah. I made sure we got a picture. Oh, cool. It's, it's, it's kind of great. We should post it somewhere. Also, the one settling. I sent it to my parents, and I think my my mom might have been a little concerned. My dad was like, you know, kind of not above board, like 25, 28 years ago, something like that. But yeah, so I might have destroyed my parents' marriage. Whatever, it's fine. Moving on to the Malifaux. Hey, no one can destroy your parents' marriage except for your parents, alright? Give them credit for that, that's, at least. That's, that's fair. Well said. Glad I could help. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Rob. <laughs> okay, so, um, con took place Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this last week. That would be Memorial Day weekend. Friday night we had an Enforcer Brawl with some really fun, spicy rules that I posted to a weird place. Everyone had fun. Everyone had fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. That's It was a blast. That's the most fun I've ever had with an Enforcer Brawl. Sounds of fun. It was the best, except for Nate and his dirty gremlins. <laughs> Fucking Maris. Gremlins are very, very dirty. What do you expect? <laughs> then on Saturday, we had the Schemes and Stones Open, a three-round tournament with 22 players, um, most of them 10 Thunders. Actually, the turnout be- ended up being a little bit more balanced. When I posted the pictures, the count was up to exactly half 10 Thunders, but it ended up, ended up going, I think, seven 10 Thunders, five Neverborn, and then a smattering of the other uh, factions. I think all the factions were present with at least one person. So. Um, I believe so. All factions were represented, but the vast majority were Ten Thunders and Neverborn, and they mostly played the same things. <laughs> we can we, a lot of. We'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, we'll get into <laughs> it's that. It's in the notes and everything. And then come around Sunday, we had a couple people leave. Obviously, it's a holiday weekend, so you can't really blame them. So we had 16 left over for the second three-round tournament. I was running this one, Woo! so I got to name Yay. it, and I called it the Schemes and Stones Open to the Scoundreling. And I demanded everyone have fun. Like, it was a rule and everything. I almost slapped Dave. Mandatory fun. It was Thanks. very aggressive. It was somewhat scary. Mm-hmm. I think the field was a li- was a lot more balanced for that one. Some people switched. Roman, mm-hmm. action wise, yeah, there was. I think we had less thunders and more of everything else, except outcast. I was the only outcast. Yeah, I think we I had think... four neverborn, and the rest was pretty balanced. I think Sunday, the people that stayed were more looking to just have a good time as opposed to wanting to win. I guess, like you always want to win, obviously, but you know. Have a good time with a have a good time guy, yeah. Douglas Scoundrels, at your <laughs> service. 
So that was kind of the general overview of what we did. Um, we can go into the statistics real quick if we want to look. Kyle, being the studious person he is, took down the different declared factions, the masters they took, win-loss, diff, um, the different st- schemes and strategies people took. Like, I guess can't take different strategies, but you know what I mean. So, first off... Most of the, uh, let's see, guilds didn't have a lot of play. Two uh, uses of Lady J, one use of Sonya, so one guild player, obvious. Outcast took one of Von Schill, one of Terra, and four of Leviticus, which I believe was, uh, well, two of them was from you, Brian. Did you take Von Schill for the third time, or? On Saturday, I, t- I went Shield Levy Levy. Okay. Uh, Rezzers was split between Yen, Lo, Molly, and Kirai. Arcanist was exactly half Sand Deep, exactly half Ironsides. Yay. Two Bayou players. Um, <laughs> that's actually me. probably the best spread we have. Wong, Zoraida, Brewmaster, Summer, and Ulix. All taken once, except for one t- Wong taken twice. Neverborn, um, also quite spread out, but a lot more players. So Zoraida, Dreamer, Kalodi, Titania, and Nakima. Oh, okay. You counted, uh, one player, I believe did Dead Man's Hand Kalodi. So Kyle rolled that into Neverborn. So actually, six Neverborn players in this case. Ten Thunders, um, less less spread out. Uh, Jacob Lynch was taken nine frickin' times. And the next two Masters were taken less than half that. McCabe and Yanlo with four each. Shenlong and Misaki round up the rest of the numbers. And just to uh, stir the shit pot a little bit, Lynch taken nine times, eight wins. Yeah, Lynch is really good. Um, I seem so, or at least the it, the, it hurt. the Midwest players that bring in Lynch are doing a really good job with them. Yeah, that game was not a fun experience <laughs> for me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, going on to round one, yeah, we're dissecting uh, Kyle's stats here, even though I didn't record any stats in my tournament. I'm stealing his credit, yay. The... One thing I can guess really say is interesting is that most of the time these schemes were were pretty spread out with like one huge victor as far as one being taken. Turn one, the one most often taken was take prisoner. Turn two was outflank. Turn three was harness the ley lines. A fun fact that I think might be worth discussing is turn one detonate the charge of taken exactly zero times. Do you think? Do you guys think that it's too hard of a scheme or or what? I don't think it's too hard. I think it's one of the schemes that stands above the rest as needing to do it and feel that you can do it uh, effectively. You need to take a specific model or two to to make it happen. Usually it's going to be something with false claim, like a Union Miner or a Huckster. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems very faction-specific. Like Ten Thunders and Arcanists are the two that pop into my head immediately that can do it fairly easily. But yeah, it just in, for outcasts, at least the crews I play, it feels way too difficult to do. And like, just not worth it. Okay. As far as the other ones that were taken more than most, do they feel too easy? Harness the ley lines, outflank, uh, take prisoner. He has the average oh. GP on here, and it's interesting that now nothing is like close to being two points. Not, not yeah. at all. I was surprised how easy outflank was. I should say, in the games I won, how easy outflank was to score for me. Because in testing, it was one we almost universally ignored. 
in my all of my games. Never bothered to take it, ever. Because it just didn't seem that good. Just like whatever the M2E version of Outflank was, I don't remember what it was called. You never took it because it just didn't seem good. I never thought it was useful, but I scored full points every time I scored on out on Outflank. Three times I took it over the, the weekend, I think. So it seems actually a little better than I had thought, which I'm a little surprised by. Roman, any input? I think part of the thing on Outflank is while a lot of the other schemes require setup, Outflank, you get there, you stay there for the end of whichever turn you're there, and then you can either stay sitting there if you have some ranged attacks or if you have schemes to drop or something along that line, or you can run around and do a little scheming and rush back there by the end of the game. There's minimal setup to do compared to a lot of the other schemes. Yeah, and in the pools, like, you have outflank and harness. Well, you want to be on the center line anyway, and if I go to a corner, that's an automatic scheme marker that sticks around. Mm -hmm. Or in corrupted idols, well, I have a 25% chance of an idol showing up on this spot. Well, okay, I'm already here. So it just made sense to do it. And then if you have good range attacks, like I was scoring it with Hans on one edge and something else. Well, Hans is a threat range of 24 inches. So I'm like, he's fine. He's slow. But once I get him on that that edge, Hans was an MVP. I had never tried him before. And I was like, I have an arbitrary eight stones to use in my levy list. I'll throw Hans in and try him out. And he he did work until people took disguise, uh, stealth against me, and then my entire crew crumbled because it was bad. But that that's for later. Oh, I guess I need to go back and correct myself because I'm an idiot and didn't realize that some masters can be taken in different factions. So while Lynch uh, was taken the most nine times that day, uh, Yan Lo coming up with a respectable seven times between Ten Thunders and Rezzers. And then Zoraida was taken six, uh, only once in Bayou, but five in Neverborn. So I think those are really the two ones that I kept hearing people talk about outside of Lady Justice and um, how awful it is to fight her sometimes. Um, yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. Getting into melee with Lady Justice is not a... I won't say it's not a fun experience, because it is still a fun game, kind of visualizing it, but it is painful. Mm. And it's one like you you don't have a choice, because you either have to survive her coming in and then kill her, or she kills your entire crew. And it's very hard to effectively deal damage to her before she's engaging you. Because your mm-hmm. opponent will most likely have less models they can do the pass thing and make sure, you know, they're not getting not activated and all that crap. And end a turn with Lady Justice and begin a turn with Lady Justice. Exactly. That, that mm-hmm. strategy. Um, I wish there was a name for that. Bookend. So it was, it was just very difficult to handle. Like my third game on Saturday was against Lady J. And it was one like I put 12 AP into trying to kill her and wasn't able to, and that was the game right there. She took most of my crew out, and once my big beaters fell, there's nothing I could do. Did my darndest, and then I had her almost dead. I was, I had a, like a 45 or 48% chance to flip a, a black jo- or a red joker on damage to kill her, and I missed it. Three, flipping three cards with five remaining total in the deck. 
the black, red Joker guaranteed in the last five, and I missed it, so I lost. Jeez. Well, since you're talking really about hard. your games, Brian, why don't you just go over all six that oh, you played? Okay, uh, so really rapid. I went three and three on the weekend. Um, I went, I won three games with Levy, lost two with Levy, and then lost once with Von Schiel. The Von Schiel was probably the most frustrating loss. It was against Jacob Lynch, and it was a combination of not knowing a super ton of what Lynch did. Like he can pop Huggy out like 26 inches out of deployment for free. Um, he can shoot his own model or an enemy model and on a trigger, he gets to place Huggy in base contact or a one inch away. So you just pop Huggy out. And then all of the terrifying checks I was having to face, my models were somehow failing them utterly. And this isn't like Willpower 5 models, it was on Shiel and Hannah who are Willpower 7. To, between the two of them, she they failed almost 15 target 10 or 11 uh, terrifying checks on attacks into Huggy or Illuminated. And I like by the time I was cheating to just do things, I had no cards left and I got Raffle Stomped. In a single round of 34 cards total, like seen, I had 19 mins gone and then the round ended. So I just never saw any good cards in the deck. And I got crumpled. Uh, the second round was probably my best overall like back and forth game of the tournament. It was against my levy into a big hat. It was actually an incredibly interesting game. Big hat. My opponent took. I don't remember what the models are, but they were wands like healer guys. You get you do damage them. They get fast and glowy, and they can heal a ton. So turn one, I sniped a ton of damage between Levy, Hans, and Rusty into Len both Lenny and McTavish. Like, nine damage between the two of them. And a single model healed almost all that damage up on 3 AP. It was insane. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was crazy. But then the next turn came around, and again, between Rusty, Levy, and Hans, I was able to slaughter McTavish and then kind of steamrolled it up. Ashes and Dust stood in a corner and did Corrupted idols and outflank. Uh, so I won that one five to two. Oh, the, I forgot the previous one. I only lost by one against uh, Lynch, but it felt terrible. And then my third game was Lady J, Levy again, and I tried to kill her. She killed me first. Put her down to she had like five runes wounds remaining. Ashes and dust went in after from other attacks. Ashes and dust goes in. I hit her, I have, after I guaranteed the hit with a 13 in hand, I had five cards left, like I'd been counting cards, I hadn't seen the red joker, so I was on a, we were tied, so it was a, you know, a double negative flip, uh, three cards out of five to see the red joker, and it was a guaranteed kill, so I was plus two damage, and it would have been like ten damage or something, and I missed it, the red joker was the fourth card, so she survived, she heals, I lose. Saturday, Sunday was marginally better. I played Zareda round one again, again with Levy. Uh, Zareda really, really hurts. Uh, stealth just shuts down <laughs> the entire crew element I was doing. Uh, your models can't be targeted from outside of six inches. And I take a very, currently a very ranged Levy list. Um, I couldn't do anything. And then Zareda has gotten a, ma obeys, have gotten a massive boss buff because eight charges are one AP. So the Zareda player was obeying my own models to charge back and then attack my own stuff. 
So I had a couple of really good setups that I couldn't use just because that's how it worked. I couldn't kill his models because I couldn't get near them because I kept getting throwing back. He took Take Prisoner on Ashes and Dust, and I did not see that coming in any way, shape, or form, so he scored that. Um, <laughs> he played really well. Uh, John's a, uh, one of the guys we know he's come before, um, and he just curb-stomped me. It was 8-1, and it was terrible. <laughs> My second second game, I played Dave, who was doing Titania. And we talked about I I beat him just because he dropped the Hooded Rider too early, so I was able to kill Hooded Rider and kind of snowball the game. Hans doing outflank just shuts down an entire half of the board. But with Titania, we were looking at after the game, you want to put your concealing markers. The board was very segmented, so if he had put them down the center of the board, he would have just had like death death alleys. I'm like, the only way to get to you is go through this alley, and he jumps on me. And then my third game, I played against McCabe, and at that point, I kind of was in a bad mood. I hadn't, like, I hadn't really had any genuinely good games on Sunday, or even, you know, most of Saturday. So the community stuff was awesome, but my Malifaux itself wasn't that great. Wait, hold on, Brian, are you saying you didn't have fun on Sunday? Uh, oh, right, I did have fun. (laughs) Oh, okay. I did, very much. But I was still in a bad mood. So I was just like, screw it, Levy's gonna YOLO. It was wedge deployment, so I put Levy right at the tip of the wedge. And I take the Outcast Soldier uh, Servant of Darker Powers upgrade, which just gives him a six-inch movement post-deployment, post-initiative, but pre-activation. So I walked him up six inches, and that put me in the gun gun range of well of my, both my opponent's crews, and then Levy can shoot stuff. And I'm like, screw it, I'm going in. I don't care. I'm kind of done with this. So I happened to win initiative, and turn one, I killed Sadir with Levy, and then later that turn, I killed the Spar, McCabe's other henchman. Like, I, oh, it was kind of a sla- Yes, it was kind of a slaughtering. So I won that one 8-1. So my overall takeaway is it seems rock, really rock, paper, scissors, scissor-y. Like, the Zareda and Lady J games, like, there were hard counters that just screwed me over and then in the games i won like of four of my five levy games one of the uh, one of the players scored eight points like they scored full points which is insane so there was an eight one an eight four an eight one and eight and eight zero out of those which is insane um so it very much felt like levy's crew it's just like an all-around decent crew and if your opponent makes a mistake it's really good at capitalizing on those mistakes. So you put a model too far into a threat range, Levy kills it, done. And then hopefully I snowball that into a win. So it was interesting. It opened my eyes a lot on things I thought weren't that good. Like Zareda, when talking with Kyle on Schemes and Stones, we both discounted her hardcore. We, I was objectively wrong in discounting Zareda. She hurt. That was terrible. Lady J, obviously, we knew was going to be good. And she was. I just couldn't deal with it properly. I should have taken a more melee-centric crew that can more armor. Probably should have done Von Schiel into her. So yeah, like it was fun. I it it humbled me. I thought I was going to do much better than I did, and I did pretty crappy. Came seventeenth on Saturday. So just kind of shows that I need to learn the game better now with the new new edition. So can you guys hear the cat? No. No. Oh, okay. But, yeah, that's me. So, Roman, let's talk about your games. Well, I had 
two really fun days Good. on both of mine. Yeah, yeah. More and and Doug, don't worry. I had slightly more fun on Sunday than I did on Saturday. You better. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I was playing my uh, my home faction Arcanist on Sunday. On Saturday, I was trying out Thunders uh, just because in Indy here, everyone else in the tournament, <laughs> right? I I at least was playing neither Lich <laughs> nor Well. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. No, I respect. That said, had I had more time to practice Yanlo, uh, to get him running quickly, I totally would have soloed him the entire day. Uh, he's just that good, people. But anyway, as to what was actually played, I uh, ran Misaki a couple times and finished off uh, Saturday with McCabe, uh, losing my first game and winning the other two uh, by narrow margins. Uh, I had the opposite of Brian's days there, I think, Pretty much all my games were won or lost by one, or I think at most two points. So that was that was very good. My one loss was to a Neverborn Zoraida mm. game, and that was against uh, Michael from St. Louis, the henchman in that area. Amazing guy. That was, it was a rough game. It was a Reckoning crew, uh, and he had run Zoraida, and there were five models in that crew. Uh, so I was hard-pressed. Yeah, he had Zoraida. I remember talking to him about that. It's very impressive. Oh yeah, no, and it, it was a brutal crew, too. Uh, Zoraida Juju, the writer, Serena Bowman, and the doppelganger. That's it. So it was effectively putting down models and going, which one of these do you think you might be able to eke out a reckoning point on? Uh, and the answer is none of them. Uh, <laughs> with Misaki. And a very killy crew. But that one, it was it was probably the tightest game the entire weekend to start things off that way. And because by the end of it, we were just white knuckling the table and I ended up uh, losing that one due to a poor placement of a couple of Masaki's uh, smoke markers or shadow markers, which allowed him to just remove them before uh, I could do what I needed to with them. But amazing game either way. Second game was Masaki into Dreamer, who is also going to be very versatile into most pools. I think he's going to be a very good generalist. And especially against things like Arcanists and probably Guild, because most of their attacks ignore armor and incorporeal. Which so Wait, Arcanist uh, Guild what was neither that? Neither of those neither Arcanist nor Guild bring incorporeal models. No, but they do bring armor. I was gonna follow up with uh Rezzers is probably the okay. big one for incorporeal with like Kurai. But no, that was another really fun one. Uh ended up winning that one by a point or two, I forget exactly what. And then third game, uh, switched over to McCabe, and I was facing Masaki. And that was a, a very, that was basically a big dragon fight. We both had uh, the <laughs> Emissary, I had the Dawn Serpent, he also had Yasunori. And uh, there were just dragons fighting over the entire table, and my dragons were slightly better. Just just barely. It was a very close game, another very fun one to close out the day. Slightly better dragons. Uh, yep. Well, one of mine is painted like a freshly poured Guinness, so you know he's having a good time. No, wait, wait, uh, hold on. You didn't paint it like Shenron? No. Wow, what is wrong with you? That's literally I the was, rules. No, because I, when I painted him, I was playing Brewmaster in Ten Thunders last edition, so I had to have a beer dragon. <laughs> that seems fair. No, it's, a, so it's a, such you a pretty him, model. Give your opponent Guinness. I mean, I would be okay with that, and then I would have one as well. But, uh, so yeah, end of, end of that day, I was, uh, right in the smack dab in the middle of the pack at 11th place, but three amazing games overall. And, uh, then day two, I was running my 
quote-unquote home faction of Arcanist there. Started off facing a Lynch player, and I had not seen Lynch at all other than a brief look over him in the open beta. And uh, that was a really fun game. Ended up playing Karis into him. Uh, I was planning on bringing Colette into that pool, but uh, rule number one in M3E for any Arcanist players, do not bring Colette against Thunders. Uh, they will turn off all of your defensive tech for seven stones. Uh, but Explain this to me. Charm Warder? Okay. No, not even. Uh, you bring a Tanuki, because they can throw out three focus to turn onto different models. And uh, that will more yeah, they have a bonus action that will focus and one, two, three heal at range six inches. And then they have sober up, which will remove a condition. And if it's a targeting a friendly model, it will give them focused also at six inches. So if you don't want them to move, they can throw out three focused onto three different models or two and one, depending on how you want to do that. That'll more than get around Colette's serene countenance. And then one of their upgrades is masked agent. Part of what it does is give whatever it's attached to a six-inch aura that says no resistance triggers can be declared there. Uh, you're going to have a mobile beater oh. anyway because it's thunders. So for seven stones plus whatever mobile beater you're going to do, Colette, if they want her dead, she'll die turn two. That's stupid. Yeah. Uh, seems um, okay. Great. Yeah, you're Good never going to bring Colette into thunders due to that because, or at least not as the declared master. I can see sometimes maybe when you want to bring her as a secondary that they're not expecting it, but it's still real dicey. Focused is so much better in this edition. You shouldn't be giving it out so easily. It's, it's very, very good. Hans with two to three focus a turn is kind of broken. Well, and this is my confusion, because in the, the, not to get too far off topic here, but in the closed beta, originally Distracted was anti-focused. It was a negative to the attack and the damage. And within the first couple weeks, people were complaining about it so much, they changed it to what it is now of just a negative to the attack. Pretty consistently since then, throughout the closed and open beta, people were complaining that focus was too good. And I'm going, the only thing I can think of is people were not using distracted, or were not using focus to counter distracted in the first couple weeks. They changed it away from that, and they never tried putting distracted back to what it originally was, because there's enough distracted in the game that that would, I think, really help in this case. And your next game? <laughs> 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 yes, so I, the the Lynch game was super fun. Uh, Karis is a bit of a tank now, and that's what I used her as, uh, with a little bit of healing, and ended up pulling that one off with an extra point. Uh, Would have had one more if we'd had another couple minutes, but it was a fun game either way. Uh, the second game was against Rezer Yanlo. Seen, I, I had seen up to this point Thunder's Yanlo. Rezer's is a couple extra tricks here. Honestly, I should have lost this game. <laughs> uh, no, we the player I was playing against, and I uh, I don't know if he was just having a really tired day or what, but he was playing kind of slow and, and consistently going, oh crap, I meant to do this, and oh crap, I meant to do that. He's kind of known for that. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay, either way. It's something I'm trying to work on with him, but he kind of waves it off as like the other person's fault. But no, that's kind of him sometimes. Okay, and, that, I'll, and that's I'll funny. own that since he's a friend of mine. <laughs> you just gotta poke him with a stick. Okay, and or beat him in the head with it. And no worries. Like in what? in this case, I'll tell you, he lost the game because he was moving too slowly. He had breakthrough and Asura, and Asura's change since the open beta or during the open beta was now she has to get a second suit to summon zombies far away from her. But now it's 
on any table edge she has visibility to, as opposed to originally it was you didn't need the suit, you just needed the, the crow to summon them, and it was you can bring them in touching any table edge uh, outside of the opponent's deployment zone so long as you can see it. So now the problem is, if she gets that extra suit, which you give her the whisper, because you do, so you can look at the top three cards when she goes and decide when you need to stone or when you're doing this, or if you are, she can put that zombie on your opponent's table edge, like in their deployment zone. He should have uh, end of, like had her go late end of turn one, or had we continued on further into the game, put her put them in in turn two, and should have gotten breakthrough no problem. Have the zombie lay down the scheme marker because Asura makes them significant during their game, and then run Manos or somebody just anywhere back into my deployment zone. Wouldn't have been able to stop him because uh, Yamlo has tons of movement tricks, or the Rider, same thing, and would have had the the game there, but he was a little focused on killing Karis. Did manage to do it, but I was I got one more point than him in the meantime. But fun game either way. And then wrapped up the end of the day uh, facing a good friend of mine, Nate, who we've had on the show before, <laughs> uh, and closed out my my weekend with my other loss, also to Zoraida, this one in Bayou. And it was uh we we were playing on a board that looked like the inside of a, a tavern and it was Basically, the fight night of Tony Ironsides versus Bad Juju, and it was hilarious fun. And it turns out one of the best ways to deal with Zoraida is to, if you can get lucky on flips, force her to get near Tony so that they're engaged. Because Tony says, if you're engaged with me, you can't attack anyone else, and obeys her attack actions, and obeys also can't target master models. So Zoraida gets into you and goes, I can't obey you. What do I do? Like, I guess I'll try to... Yeah, you get punched in the face and the old lady dies is what happens there. Yay! Um, (laughs) It was pretty satisfying. Uh, But it was was a fun game. That one, much like the first Zoraida game on day one, I lost. It it was very tight the entire time. I lost because of a stupid scheme mistake. This one was less of a, a very clear, oh, that thing, instead of over there. Uh, like it was on the first one, but it was just a, a facepalm moment at the end of the game going, oh, had I done that, this would at least be a tie. But either way, uh, ended day two in place with Nate at second, and it was a really fun time overall. I, I'm already waiting for next year. Yay. Cool. Oh, thanks for keeping those relatively concise. I try. So my con experience, we'll go over what Doug did. Um, I get to play two... Well, technically three games. Two Enforcer Brawls, using the Bonanza rules is what I'm calling them. Which, as we mentioned before, was an absolute blast, because Enforcers are just picking up random bonuses and becoming godlike. Uh, Gracie with a Gatling Gun is now my personal bane. Uh, (laughs) That was amazing. I hate that pick. (laughs) And then I got a game in with Nate Saturday night after we got back from dinner. Me being the weirdo I am, decided, you know what, I'm going to do a henchman leader. So I was like, you know what, uh, we'll go with a Tony team, but without Tony. So I declared captain as my leader. Took the like a normal crew, because I thought, I was like, hey, she always wants to bring her three henchmen. She can never really afford to bring them, so let's actually make it available to bring her three henchmen. And I did pretty good, I think. It was like 4-3 
But I lost because Nate brought Big Brain Bryn because he wanted to point out how stupidly broken Big Brain Bryn is. And Big Brain... That model. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little broken at the moment. <laughs> at least I, I think so. He has an ability that... Uh, well, it's an action that lets him discard ten cards and then grab three cards out of his discard pile and shuffle them back into his deck. And since it's one action, he can do it twice normally, and if he's the leader, he can do it three times. And when you're cycling out a bunch of bad cards and putting all the good ones back in your deck, you're top-decking, like, a lot of nonsense. I think at one point he just decided that uh, he was getting bored of just just succeeding at every flip, and he started doing other things with Bryn. But it was a close game, and I made sure I annoyed the living shit out of him with Fitzsimmons. Which uh, I'm starting to absolutely love. Fitzsimmons is great. Fitzsimmons is great and is quickly becoming the bane of Nate in general, uh, <laughs> based on your game and and my Tony game with him. Well, I don't I don't know if he was like trying to bait me or he just simply forgot, but he kept putting down ski markers right next to his models, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, arson, boom, it blows up. Oh, look, you put down another one, arson, boom, it blows up. And uh, the Hail Mary I did at the end of the game was really fun, because Amina is probably the best best henchman Ironsides has right now. Because she's an obey henchman, and she can do it pretty reliable, and she's also got some other great tech. And so what she did is she forced Fitzsimmons to walk inches, inches, and then made him push towards Scrap Marker and gain fast, and he managed to basically fling himself across the board and blow up a one more ski marker to deny him... Um, Oh, jeez. Outflank. I think that's... What's the one that requires all the three corners? Uh, Power Ritual. Okay, Power Ritual. Yeah. So, that was a lot of fun. Although I was getting tired by that. So, sorry, Nate, if I seemed grumpy. I had a blast. And then I ran um, the game. I mean, the tournament on Sunday. So, I had a lot of fun. So, overall, like... I guess we can quickly talk about what we think is broken or... I I don't want to get too negative here, as I I said before. Like, we don't need to be negative on the show. Plenty of people do that online already. But I'm fully understanding that when you do an addition change like this, no matter how much you beta test, it's not until it gets out into the public that you start, like, really seeing the things that might have been a little bit too powerful, so... It'll be a fun, like, six or so months until we get an errata. I'm, I'm sure there'll be an errata, and I'm not going to blame them for not seeing these things, because no, it's just impossible to do that sort of thing. So what do you guys th- think might need a little bit of tweaking uh, power-wise? And we'll, we'll not even say things that are, are too underpowered. Let's just say things that are slightly overpowered. Brian? My big one would be Lynch's Pop Huggy Out. The trigger needs to stay enemy only, and not, because it current, as written, it can be any friendly or enemy target. So if you're able to send one of your cheap minions up the board 15 inches, let's say, which you can do depleted, which are insignificant minions, there are three stones and hard to kill, hard to wound. I think they're hard to wound. Hard to kill. Pretty good for three stone minions, insignificant, sure, but they do things and stuff. They... Depleted can, like, push each other as they walk. So you can get a depleted, like, 15 inches out of deployment, and then shoot it to pop Huggy out. So you get an extra X movement, whatever it is. And Huggy, so Huggy is only 9 to 10 inches out of deployment at that point from your opponent. I think that has to get a 
restriction on the trigger. That would be my biggest one after what I saw. I'm also a little salty still after the Lynch game, so that's that talking. <laughs> Though I will fully admit, on my own side, Rusty Alice at min 3, like, I think they gotta knock her down to min 2. Because she can get, even if she's engaged, if she disengages, she gets an AP to shoot, and then rapid fire to shoot again. And I don't care about cover, because my stat's a 6, and most defenses are 5, so I'm gonna hit you. And oh no, I'm on a an infinite minus flip. I'm still hitting you for 3 damage. Jeez. And then three, and you can get focus easily. So scavenger, which is an, an amalgam crew anyway, because it's amazing. I just give you focus every turn, so she'll have at least one focus a turn. And if I haven't tried it yet, but if you take two scavengers, she gets two focus a turn, and I that's broken. So I don't want to give up my best shooting like thing in my faction, but. I'll be fair. She was like my hardcore MVP for the weekend. <laughs> so that that would be my two cents. Roman? Yeah, I agree. There's there's a couple things in there that broken might be... A, I don't want to say that they're unfun, but they're definitely gotchas the first time you see them. I didn't have the same issue as Brian with Huggy, but I was also playing on corner deployments. So it was like, oh yeah, he's still a ways away from me. That, I, I can deal with that, but it would, on a standard deployment, that would be a painful awakening. Bryn is another one, but I think that could be pretty easily changed by making his card cycling ability once per turn. Yeah. Problem solved. The, the one that really concerns, and this isn't one thing in particular, but there are interactions with it that I don't think they've all been tested as much as they should be, and that is Yanlo's Reliquaries. So these reliquaries, whenever you kill uh, one of Yan's named people, Izamu, Shiaki, Manos, etc., they all attach their own reliquary upgrade to a friendly within, I think it's six inches. No line of sight or anything on that. And that basically gives that model some of their abilities. Uh, so like for Izamu, it's here, have, I don't even remember his because his isn't, isn't one that worries me over much and that should tell you how, how good some of these are but i think it's here have armor two and uh, a better attack or a better attack range uh, manos is the one that concerns me the most his is here have my demise ability which is if you die discard a card and gain four health back instead of dying now the whole thematic idea behind these is yan lo can heal people better when they have one on him on them and he can also say hey Person that has that reliquary, you're not you anymore. You're now the person that that reliquary belongs to. So if you killed Azamu, you get a second Azamu. Cool? Cool. Problem here, uh, Shiaki has a trigger on an ability she's going to use turn one anyway. It only needs a four to go off, and I forget what suit it needs, but she just needs a suit. And she says, hey, whoever is still alive from this ability... Uh, if they normally give out a reliquary, I can put that on someone also in range of this ability before this person dies. And if you put it on, if you put, for example, Manos's reliquary on Izamu, that makes Izamu essentially unkillable. Um, you're not worried about if you want to bring Manos back because you did it without killing him. If you want to kill Izamu to have a second Manos later, it's going to be because you need the points and 
he's a better scheme runner. If you put these on some of his minions, they get a plus two move and a positive flip to everything they do just for having the reliquary, plus whatever the reliquary does. So it, it starts stacking up a bit too much and a bit across his whole crew uh, on the key pieces. I, I don't know if they need to tone them down or if they need to say these can only go or only minions get the bonuses from these and then remove the like standard minion bonus that they get if they have one. So they only get the reliquary. But something tells me Yanlo did not get enough feedback on his testing when they were doing them because of this. Okay. Well, considering how often he was brought, he seems like he has a quite quite a bit of potential at the very least. But, well, I mean, we'll see. It's definitely going to be a very interesting July and August. I'm I'm genu- genuinely excited for that. I mean, so, something's probably going to be figured out to be absolutely broken, but that happens. And then we'll all just be like, I'm not playing the broken stuff. I'm a better person. Or maybe, yeah, that, or and, maybe and that's just been, me. <laughs> and Weird's been pretty good about doing uh, erratas or FAQs when they've needed to before. They just yeah. have to see it and... Once it's out there, they go, yeah, that's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, one thing, uh, two things I thought that might, and these are definitely maybe broken. It's not, I haven't seen it uh, be absolutely broken. And this pains me to say it because it's one of the my favorite models now is I think uh, Obeys might be a little, a little on the strong side. I mean, obviously, with how well Zoraida did, maybe it's just Zoraida, but they can do so much more now, including interacts and charges and using people's focus and declaring triggers. Um, so useful, but it's just really good. The other one is definitely definitely more of a theoretical, because like I heard it as a theoretical, and that was insignificant spam. Back in the day, in M2E, um, insignificant was strictly a bad thing for your models to have because they couldn't do interacts and uh, they're usually weak and you couldn't like use them to score but your opponent could use them to score and that's kind of like the idea is that they're little griblies and um, should be a detriment to bring a bunch of them because you know activation advantage was a thing but now insignificant cannot be scored for either side and the theoretical is you could basically bring a summer crew that consisted only of insignificant models, or models that could turn into insignificant models, thus completely denying your opponent your opponent the chance to score anything for reckoning. And so that was like summer, and like you bring a beater and you put the trench coat on them, so when they die, they don't die; they turn into bio gremlins, and you just spam bio gremlins, and eventually you just kind of flood your opponent with bio gremlins. So, um, that seems like it needs a little bit of effects, but it hasn't. I don't think, think it's come out as someone's tried it yet. But uh, I just thought I'd mention that, and then someone can go ahead and break it for us, and then we can call it ahead of time and be like, see, we told you so. Or something like that. I'm a dick. Um, okay. <laughs> Real quick. Nate, um, you know what you must do. <laughs> yes. Go forth, my minions. Um, let's go over a quick couple rules questions we had gotten that were interesting, and we'll tell you how we decided they would, uh, how we decided that they should work. Um, these are things that uh, either we just couldn't find the answer real quick; it was very, very fuzzy. Uh, one instance, though, I know for sure that I would, I call, I, I believe I called it the wrong way, but uh, there was enough question in my mind that it might be worth addressing. 
Why do I have obeys on here? Obeys doesn't need to be needed. First up, one, uh, the uh, relenting, the relenting question. Oh yes, thank you, there. thank you. Uh, currently, as a rule stands, once you if you obey an enemy model to attack another enemy model, they can relent. And relent is basically saying, "Hey, this counts as a tie. You're at a double negative flip to damage." And that, kind of, I mean, maybe that was the nerf to uh, obeys that I that I was kind of calling for like a minute ago. I wasn't really calling for it, but I thought it might be a little too powerful. But it doesn't make sense. The whole point of an obey is to like force your force someone against their will to do something in the case of your opponent's model. So why would relenting work? Relenting is all about teamwork and like, oh, I need to do this thing. And so you just take the hit, but you don't take the hit with a lot of damage usually. I loved uh, relenting in M2E and flipping the whole moderates. That was, that was great. But uh, that's something I just see needs a real quick change, and that just specifies that you can only relent when it's a friendly model attacking another friendly model controlled by the same player. So I think that's all that's needed. Next is Lynch's trump card, and it says when an opposing model flimps a card, they gain brilliance. Uh, Kyle and I debated about this, and since we didn't really have a strict definition for flip, we decided that it was the card that enters the conflict, and they define the conflict in the rules, and so basically whenever you're on plus flips, the card that you choose in the plus flip is the one that enters the conflict. And so um, in that case, and stuff like discarding, it wouldn't technically be flipped, and so brilliance wouldn't be gained. And considering how pretty strong Lynch seems to be, I think that's definitely okay as far as, like, it's not going to break him. In a bad way. Parting blows in hazardous terrain. Yeah, this is the one that I, I decided that I did wrong. And I initially declared that it wasn't technically an action. The parting blow wasn't technically an action, so they shouldn't gain the uh, hazardous damage and what other uh, additional stuff. Also, not to, to throw you off too bad, Doug, but in the rules it does specify a flip is when a player reveals the top card of their fate deck and adds it to the conflict to generate a random number or suit. Okay, so we did that uh, if, correctly. It has to be added If to the multiple conflict. cards are added to the conflict as the result of fate modifiers, only one card is placed into the conflict. Yep, so, yeah, you were right. Looks like you were correct there. Hooray! My uh, control F abilities were lacking, I guess. But anyways, um, parting blow and hazardous terrain, it's pretty much like rules say attack, the rules say don't say attack action. And I'm still thinking M2E where you have a specific pool of actions you when you start the game and, and stuff like this. And since a parting blow was really a reaction to something and not an action something was taken, I was like, well, this it, I don't think it really counted. But it's, it's an action, and it's, since it's an action you can choose to do, Really, it's more it, evidence lies more towards you take the hazardous damage or the effects of the hazardous terrain. So that's how I'll be ruling it going forward. And if there's a clarification, which uh, you can put action in the rules, I think that would just it would have cleared it up for me. Uh, otherwise, uh, I think most people will probably rule it that way. Concealing was a question brought up, and uh, this person was getting real sick of being on negative flips. Um, for concealing, and he asked if he could put a model, a friendly model, intervening so that all the lines of sight would be blocked by the small one no longer pass through the concealing terrain, and therefore he would no longer be, the opponent would no longer be gaining the benefits of concealing. And we talked about it for a little bit, Colin and I, and we determined that lines of sight go, that go through a model are counted as being blocked. However, they don't stop. 
They still continue all the way to the model you're targeting, and thus they would still pass through concealing, and thus they would still um, trigger the concealing effects, as per how we read it in the rules. And, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Why would having something in your way suddenly stop the concealing from working? And I think that's... It makes sense. It seems like, yeah, like, if I feel like... Until they clarified that officially, it makes sense that just because I'm standing partially in front of you, it doesn't mean the thing that's, like, 12 inches away suddenly isn't in... isn't hiding anymore. Like... Like, rationally, it makes sense. Mechanically, it might not, you know, it's not, you know, in, as intended, maybe, but mechanic, like, but it, it rationally makes sense. And, and not only that, weird is actually, uh, there was a similar thing like this that came up in the open beta, and they used the same, the same logic. Uh, the thing that came up was, if you have someone standing behind dense concealing terrain, the line of sight goes through concealing terrain... And, like, the other line of sight doesn't. That's how you're seeing them. But if one line of sight does, it stops at the end of the dents, so it, it doesn't technically go all the way through the concealing to get to the model, as far as the line of sight's concerned. But they specified it by saying the concealing says if the line of sight is drawn to the model, not if it is blocked or not. So you're exactly right. I think there's a callout box in the rulebook for that somewhere. But yeah, that's it's the same logic of the concealing doesn't go away just because the line of sight doesn't go through it at the as and that's the only thing. So I would I would say weird's backing you up on that one. Yay. I'll admit I'm not a perfect judge, and a lot of these some of these decisions were just kind of off the cuff and things we had to come up with quick without staring at the rule book for several minutes. So if you know a solid answer for these, like weird had answered it previously, please let me know. I would like to learn and get better at the rules. Two things that kind of go hand in hand. Uh, Vendetta. Vendetta is a little weird. And um, especially because of the new way replace works. And so the question came up, if I put Vendetta on, say, um, Izamu, and I kill Izamu, and that reliquary goes to another model, and then that model becomes a Zamu, does the second point of Vendetta score or not? And they were arguing, well, it's Azamu's back, so he's still on the board. And we looked, and Replace specifies that you place the replacing model next to the old one, and then all the effects of the old one get transferred to the new model. They specify new. So this is a... We decided this is a new model. It's a new Azamu. It's not the old Azamu. So the second point of Vendetta would have been scored. Now, this doesn't work for uh, pigs. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Nate, for coming up with this one. Or I believe he's done it before. Take Ulix, and you take a piglet. And you Vendetta something pretty weak because we, piglets have really small soul stone cost. And then you upgrade that piglet and you upgrade that piglet again. And suddenly it's a really big model taken on like a four soul stone one. Because those effects get transferred to the new model. And so the piglet becomes what? A war pig? No. Yeah. yeah war pig like eventually. That. War pig and then a... Yeah. And then it just wrecks face. So that's that's a bit of cleverness, but that's how the rules go. We're not entirely... I will say that one is not only pigs where that will work. That will also work on every effigy if they upgrade yeah. and, and go to the emissary. Ooh. It also works if you bring in two single corifi and replace them into the duet. So and anywhere where you can replace a smaller model into a bigger model, that will work. It's just that 
Unix can, you, that, can do that so I, easily. I feel like that can't be rules as intended. Uh, except that in the replace rules, it specifies anything, any effects targeted, such as schemes, leader designation, lasting game effects. The new model is always considered a legal target. So I, I feel like they were wow. intending that one. That just, like, it, that just like feels like broken in, in, in essence. Like if you look at the pig's idea, so I can take my three stone model or whatever the pigs are and target anything more expensive in my opponent's crew and then basically defeat the whole purpose of Vendetta. Like, so like it, it's incredibly strong with very little counterplay. Obviously, like, if they start doing it, oh, this is what they're doing. Well, I don't know which, at that point, their war pig theoretically could kill any one of my models except your leader, I suppose, for Vendetta, or non-henchmen as well, and score points for it. How do you counterplay that? You gotta kill it, but if they're doing it correctly, it's not a model that's ever going to be able to be attacked. And by the time it's a war pig, it should be full health, because it heals for each time it evolves. So you have a full health war pig that's going to come in and straight up murder you, and you can't you can't block that. So like the transferring, I think that's the idea to make sure you can like that your model like I declare vendetta on your whatever model and you kill it to replace it. I can still like your opponent can still score vendetta. It shouldn't make you scoring vendetta easier because you can cheese out hyper-powerful models to go kill some four-stone baby, you know, model. Baby. An actual baby. Wait, no, Kate's, Kate's more than Yes. That. Kate's okay, like no, nine. I mean, seven. we brought this up, so if it, it's it's something we might just have to deal with for six months, or maybe they already saw it and they, they've fixed it in the small rule chance. It's not going to end the game and ruin it for everyone. It's just corner case specifics. Yeah, worst case scenario, it's a neat trick that Ulix can pull off better than other people, but other people have access to it. I don't see it as being any worse than, hey, if someone declares MNSU or uh, Wastrel as their keyword and detonate charges in the pool, you're not going to stop them from doing it. I mean, I got stopped from doing it, but... <laughs> my, my, okay. my, my you're minor, most my... likely not going to stop <laughs> My miners die so, so fast. It's amazing. It's almost like my opponent knows what they can do, and the defensive tech really isn't there to keep them alive. But anyways, uh, okay, I think that's enough about MuseCon. We've been rambling on it for about an hour, right? Right, guys? So let's Woo! get into speculation territory. Or, like, this is news. This is probably news for someone. Oh, we know exactly what the 8th faction is from Malifaux. It is the Explorer Society, and Doug is a very, very clever boy. You know why Doug is a very, very clever boy? Because I figured it out before they told us. And by told us, I mean, they, they like, let someone post the actual specific uh, name and uh, description um, from a game show, a picture of the rulebook. But I figured out because they said, oh, it already been mentioned somewhere in the fluff. And I was like, you know what has a lot of fluff? The Through the Breach books. And you know what? Not a ton of people know the Through the Breach books are just amazing and probably the best the best thing about Malifaux, and I mean the universe in general. So I finally actually got around to looking up and was like, oh... That symbol looks very, very exploratory. If you listened to that one podcast episode like two ago or whatnot, I said, eh, it's a torch and it's some guns and some pokey things. And oh, that's a compass. Oh, that's a compass. Well, you know what's all about? You know, like torches and adventuring and compasses. And those are kind of like adventure explorer people, right? 
So, I just went through the books and used the magic that is Control-F to look up the word explorer. And you know what I found? I found the Malifaux Explorer Society. And I found it in several books, too. So, at that point, and I was like, ah, you know what? I bet you it's these guys. It fits all the hallmarks. They they match up with the current masters we know are going to be in the new faction. So, I, I put word out there. It's like, it's definitely this. And I swore I would eat a hat if I was wrong. And I don't have to eat a hat. It's very disappointing. I just dump in real fast and say it makes me incredibly <laughs> sad that you don't have to eat a hat. <laughs> like, I say this as... A friend of yours, and I <laughs> I respect you, I like you, Doug, but it legitimately makes me sad inside that I don't get to see you eat a hat. Does this make me... Am I a bad person? <laughs> no, I think most people would love to see me eat a hat. What if I find a delicious okay. hat to reward myself? I'll still... I think I will enjoy this very muchly. Okay, I gotta find a tasty hat. Someone Let's send me it. links to a tasty hat. So, we've got Explorers. And that makes me just the most excited because um, it's something that we haven't uh, explored in Malibu a whole ton is like reaching out and seeing what this whole world, this new world that has been created uh, has for us. Um, we've got an idea, but, you know, there's no one out there. We don't see any of the fluff. All the fluff is about the conflict. In this, you know, general area of Malifaux, the Malifaux planet, planet foe, planet foe. And so I was wondering, like, you know, but it's like, who's asking the question of what else is out there? What other cool things can we find? Can I make it into spiders and other stuff? And so we're getting we're getting that in an entire faction. And it's it's amazing. So, OK, so real quick, I'll recap what we know so everyone else can be in on it. And then we'll go into speculations. And so uh, Victoria can talk. That's not like a bad thing. You're just a lot more about fluff. You're a fluff person mm-hmm. like me. Yep. And you didn't run tournaments, so you don't have that input. Yes, Victoria's still here. All right. Uh, first off, the most obvious, the existing masters. We have Cornelius Bass. Bass. Basset. And... Why did I... Lucas McCabe. Lucas McCabe. All right. So we got two guys out on the frontier. I mean, one is... Their, their freaking keyword is frontier. So that's pretty obvious. Out on the... You know, like, I'm assuming he's hanging around the uh, Badlands... Which is west of Malifaux. And he's obviously a part of the Explorer Society. So he's doing stuff for them. And as well working for the guild. And it seems like those two entities wouldn't clash too terribly much. In this case. So I can definitely see it. And Lucas McCabe is less of uh, out on the frontier wild ass cowboy guy. And he's definitely our Alan Quartermain, Penny Dreadful kind of explorer type guy or you know indiana jones if you don't know who alan quartermain is so that's that's the basis we have for the faction and it just makes me terribly excited to know what to figure out what else they're going to have in fact i'm so excited and definitely not because i didn't want to spend all of our savings on guild models i've decided to switch my second faction from guild to the explorer society so yay i'll have two masters to play for like a year and then suddenly a whole bunch of stuff to buy so I'm just going to push that debt off a little bit later. Wait, we have savings? Um, anyways. <laughs> the stuff I pulled from the Through the Breach stuff, so I went and extracted that. And I didn't look at all the material, just the big books. Uh, first up was the Old Faded Almanac. Um, references them once and notes that they have like a headquarters-type lodge in the central slums of Malfo City. 
And then the uh, Fate Master Almanac, which I didn't write down, whoops, references them in a way that, hey, they go, they basically initially were just, ex- I don't want to keep saying the word explorers, they were um, frontiersmen, guides, and the like, that would kind of let people go out and shoot big things. So you got this, these rich aristocrats go to the Explorer Society and hire a bunch of guides to take them out and shoot an Ephilim or something. So that's that's kind of what they were doing in the background and all of this. Then we got uh, In Defense of Innocence, which was like my big, like, aha, this is definitely going to be the new faction. They're referenced as a sort of group, an organization they, that players could reach out to uh, alongside Arcanists and Rezzers, they were using, they had, like, the list, like, oh, the your players are encouraged to reach out to other organizations for help, like the Arcanist or Rezzers or the Ex- Exploration Society, and it's like, oh, that's that's a big damn clip. There's another character in In Defense of Innocence that also uh, is a member of the Explorer Society. Then, Into the Bayou, they have excerpts from a book written by the Explorer Society, and that's just giving you little bits of additional adventures that you're players can go on and then under quarantine uh, also references them as far as exploring the quarantine zone so that was enough references for me to convince me and uh, it turns out i was right so enough of me talking for at least a few minutes let's speculate on masters slash themes or models or fluff we want to see or we think we'll see with this new faction now i'm going to start with victoria Yay. Because she hasn't had a chance to talk. Like, I'm sure this one is going to come up a lot, and I believe it's already been suggested as, like, a master and a theme in a different podcast when we were building crews and stuff. Yeah, I I think Um, that was Dave. It might have been. Or me. Dave or me. It was was somebody. But, like... Oh! It was when they were doing, like, challenges, and I was like, do a Neverborn master that's a human. I thought this was resurrectionists one um, i'm pretty sure it was the resurrectionists <laughs> that we want to do anyway a big sort of thing in the victorian era was egyptology like they would have parties to unwrap mummies and they would like eat them and stuff because what fuck posterity no what um yeah yeah they would consume parts of mummies they would like crush it up into a powder that's how you get plagues. You'd think that. Yeah, that, that's how you just die. This is like, how you straight up die. Do you want a mummy curse? This is how you get a mummy curse. This is how you get a mummy, mummy curse, folks. Uh, by consuming powdered mummy. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a big thing. So I would like to see some sort of callback to that. Maybe like actual mummies. Maybe have <clears throat> never born mummies in Malifaux for some reason. I don't know. Oh, Lord. Just... Egyptology and mummies would be cool. Yeah, that would definitely fit the theme. Brian, I guess. I I was thinking I like the like the treasure hunter aspect. So we kind of already have that with McCabe, but expanding on the like the dungeon like the very like D and D Pathfinder like dungeon delver looking for lost artifacts. Oh, so Brian, I'm gonna cut you off here. I forgot to say something. Go <laughs> ahead. Me, this is like. This is the excerpt from the book that specifies exactly what the Explorer Society is. So let me do this instead of telling you all the stuff I found out or I think. Originally established as a means to reinvigorate the long-dulled sense of adventure of its founder, 
The Explorer Society has since expanded to focus on unfurling the mysteries of Malifaux and beyond. These aristocrats, dark tourists, and pioneers venture into the unknown corners of the world to seek knowledge, discover new locations, and hunt big game. While their motivations are unclear, the recent push to amass rare artifacts is not. So, there's that. Okay, continue, Brian. Um, so, like, the, the treasure hunter idea, you know, they're looking for lost Nephilim ruins or whatever it is, and just finding treasure to bring back to Malifaux, so okay. then bring through the breach and maybe, like, fund the war on the other side and things like that. Also, just, like, big game, like, actual, like, trophy hunters, I think could be cool, like, the big hunter aspect, we might be able to find out like, discover new, like, Nephilim, or just animals related to Malifaux. I think that could be cool. You know, learning more about the flora and fauna of the actual world. Anything else? Units? Fluff? I don't know. I haven't really given it a ton of thought, so I'm just, I'm curious to see where they go with it. And I wonder if they'll bring in, like, the new masters, where they're going to pull them from. Because I would hope they just don't do a full faction, multi-faction masters. Like, people are speculating that they'll have a master from every faction. You don't, you're not hoping for M2E Ten Thunders. Exactly. I want a unique faction. Like, obviously you have multi-faction masters, because you need that. It's good for the game. But unique stuff. So I'm just, I'm just curious to see where they go. I would have... Serious doubts that they would do that, especially since they already revealed two of them. So why would they keep the other six hidden from us? Exactly, and that's my thinking as well. And and factions either have two or three dual faction masters, so we know the ones that are going to be dual faction, and it might throw a curveball at us, but I'm definitely not expecting that. Roman, what are your uh, thoughts? So I have I have two things I hope slash want to see out of this. One of them is entirely mine. One I heard from, I believe it was again Michael from St. Louis who had this idea first, and I thought it was such a good idea, I'm stealing it and throwing it on the internet via this podcast. <laughs> that idea is there should be some kind of archaeologist, since we have kind of Indiana Jones in McCabe, we should have actual archaeology in whoever this other person is. Uh, but and I I totally like Victoria's idea of the the Egyptology, but this one would be a little further back. We want a guy who like brings back to life or rediscovers in Malifos things that were dead in Earth. Uh, we want a guy riding dinosaurs, is what we. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. So that. that's that's the one I stole. The one that I've kind of wanted is. I really want someone who's very deep into the occult. Like, it's kind of, Ooh. everything's kind of occult in Malifaux just because there is actual magic and they do actually, like, raise people from the dead and things. But I want more, like, macabre occult trappings. Mm. Maybe someone who can't actually do magic but <laughs> understands. You want an Alistair Crowley? Can... Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing. I'd, I'd be fine with that. Wait, are Heck you yes. saying Malifaux isn't already macabre and dark? Oh no, we could we could go darker. We could so? go darker. Yeah, can we? Should we though? We, we got Why we not? we want people that intentionally want to go dark and dreary. We we want goth kids. Yeah, 
I want John Constantine and Malifaux, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so we want a Dinosaur Cavalry, which sounds just wonderful. And we want Alistair Crowley and Constantine. Okay, let's go through Doug's list, because I've definitely not, I've not been thinking about this at work instead of doing my job or anything. Uh, <laughs> so I took, like, the current fluff we have for them is they're just people for hire that go out and explore a little bit. Mostly just get paid to have rich people shoot things dead. And I think, yeah, <laughs> I want me. a revival of the idea of the explorer. It's just not, you know, your trapper going out and hunting fur-bearing animals and stuff. It's about people that just want to do, want to discover something new. And so I'm being very liberal with that idea. But, you know, weird, I'm here, you're listening. Uh, I apologize again for all the... Everything. Everything. I just apologize for everything. But, you know, if you like these ideas and you don't really have six masters lined up, <clears throat> just had, some, uh, had a few thoughts. First up, um, we they constantly talked about, uh, like, a big game hunter, right? We've, we've kind of decided there's going to be someone in there with a big old rifle. I don't... Do we have a big rifle... Um, we don't have a Charles Edmonton. Hans. I don't. I mean, a master. I don't think so. Oh, uh, like a sniper, ma- like a sniper, sniper, big gun guy. No, not necessarily a sniper, like, but like a good a rifleman. Yeah, Perdita. I mean, elephant ass. gun. I mean, Elef- I mean, yeah, elephant gun, basically with an actual rifle. I don't think so. So I, th- you know, we're probably going to get that guy. Obviously, we're going to get that guy. And I'm not going to have a big game hunter master. But I thought, you know, let's make it fun and let's kind of play off of someone that was, I don't know, known for uh, hunting big things and just have a laugh with our references and uh, possibly appearance. I think we should either have big game hunter Ernest Hemingway or big game hunter Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, no, uh, Roosevelt was actually alive and kicking around this time, but Hemingway is a little bit later. But, we you know, it's fun to fudge years in Malifaux, and I think both of those hey. would be... Hey, alternate history. <laughs> yeah, both <clears throat> of those would be great, and immediately come prepackaged with more fun stuff than he's the big guy, the guy with the big gun that kills animals. Oh, jeez, I have a lot, don't I? And no one's looking at those lists except for me, that's, that's stupid. Um, a couple sort of general ideas, not specific characters. Um, the only, the, like, the big sort of exploration going on around here, uh, I mean, around this time um, in the world, was actually polar exploration. Mm-hmm. So I thought someone that would be heading north through the Ten Peaks, um, probably oh, no. get, getting into shenanigans with the with the December cult, would be really fun. And there's a couple, like, famous explorers that you could go if with you for that. call eating... Getting your heart eaten fun. I mean, takes all kinds. Oh, oh my god. They could poorly plan for their trip and only bring bottles of whiskey with them. Oh, no. And so his name has to be Shackleton then. Oh. And, and then in 300 years in the future, you'll have Shackleton whiskey that's been infused with soul stones. Ugh. And you drink it and you become magic. Hey, there's already, there's already soul stone gin. We don't need whiskey too. Soulstone whiskey, please. Just <laughs> whiskey is always something that you need, and okay. the more, the more of it, better. We kind of have this in Zip, and honestly, if like Zip became like a triple faction master, it would work. Hey, no, no peeking. But I thought uh, aviation was actually taking off in this uh, around this time as well, 
And so some kind of aviator guy made with like a pseudo glider of some kind that would give him flying and like like a hyper mobility crew like all the all the crew is super fragile but like the incredibly fast um just try and not be exactly what zip is i actually want a native american master um we've got a couple native americans namely big jake and joss i think those are and there's a blatant ostringer but a Native American master would be great. We finally, we probably, I mean, if we're going stereotypes here, we'd get a bow master, which we don't have. And that'd be super cool because the hex bow in the uh, Through the Breach book is really cool. Yes. So we'd basically get Native American Hawkeye delivering <laughs> ordnance from a bow. That'd be super cool. And I mean, you'd probably steal the trappers from uh, yeah. Bass too, though. But yeah, definitely like your woodsman explorer. Uh, I have down here a lumberjack. <laughs> Because every faction needs that melee beater, right? And that was the first thing that came to mind. And I got a reason for this. The reason he's in the Exploration Society. It's it's an okay reason. Just bear with me here. So th- there's like an actual uh, lack of usable wood in Malifaux. Um, because the, the trees that are predominantly there are not wood. And they're not straight and they're full of knots and they're just horrible to build with. But that's what they have, so they have to deal with it. So what if there was an enterprising man that was like, you know what? I bet you there's good trees out there. I'm going to go find them. And this was our Paul Bunyan guy. I'm talking like Blue Ox. <laughs> Tree hunter. <laughs> Tree hunter. He hunts trees. <laughs> we, we, we need someone to really, really tick off the Neverborn. And I want it to be this guy. <laughs> So yeah, definitely our our axe man here, and uh, you know, I don't know, make him like incredibly big spike damage, and so he'd be because I don't think any of our like current melee masters are are specifically good at that. I mean, they all can do quite a bit of damage, but it's usually like a good solid amount over time, and I want like a risk of dealing like a lot of damage and possibly hurting yourself or something. Oh God, what if he's a gremlin? No, no, I, I want I want big Paul Bunyan. That's what I want. I want Paul Bunyan. <laughs> so those are sort of, I guess I did have a specific name for the Lumberjack. The other two I think are really cool, and one of them is very definitely fitting in the Explorer archetype, just not what you're initially thinking. Exploration can go anywhere, and one of the unexplored places that uh, people like to go and is very dangerous is the Necropolis, which is just underneath Malifaux City. And so those are uh, sort of like, I don't know, tombs, and this person might... I know, like, raid those tombs, so we need some kind of tomb raider. And I was thinking a, a lady with possibly oversized <laughs> bosoms and two pistols to do that. Um, obviously, a more tasteful sculpt would be nice, but... <laughs> no, I want the polygonal pointy tits. Yeah. <laughs> I demand it. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> but I think, yeah, actually a Lorecroft-type character would fit in well. You just need to make her distinct from McCabe. In, in some sort of way. Um, she could still be doing relics. Obviously, it seems like relics seem to be their sort of thing. So maybe not handing them out, but uh, something. Uh, I'm, I'm not the one coming up with uh, actual mechanics here. I just like the ideas. And the other one, the last one I have on my list, and this is definitely a kind of long, a bit of a stretch as far as exploration goes, but I thought we could get an explorer in science because we have a few scientists in in Malifaux, but they all seem to be evil. 
And so I, I actually kind of want, like, a good scientist-type person that's actually out to, like, help people and stuff. Maybe not too goody-two-shoes, but just someone that's actually wanting to do good and in a lab coat or something. So I thought we could have, like, an Alexander Fleming-type scientist, the guy who discovered penicillin. But, you know, going out there and trying to find, like, unique and interesting cures uh, using flora and fauna that don't exist on earth to you know cure mon- cure diseases in jazz and then he could be like anti um hamlin and they could like fight or something his whole crew is just healing his whole crew is just oh god <laughs> everyone on his crew heals like they don't do very good damage they're not very fast but it's like impossible to kill them because they keep healing each other that would actually <clears throat> kind of work in a way i think it would be, like, really infuriating to play against, but... Well, I, we're not the design team. That's weird. I know. I'm... <laughs> That's their problem. <laughs> That's Those are the masters um, I came up with. What's cool. up? I was just saying, I would like to jump in with um, another idea that I had. Um, like, some sort of map maker, cartographer, something like that. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Big nerd. Big old nerd. Yeah, he's got, like, surveying equipment strapped across his shoulder, and he's, you know, oh, like, the surveyors, like, like some sort of, like, because, you know, surveying is kind of, like, nerdy, but, like, yeah, you go out into the wilds and survey in Malifaux, and you gotta be able to kill something with your with your teeth. <laughs> so suddenly, they become super badass. Oh, I really, really like this, because this is, like, my concept for lamplighters in Malifaux, where they actually have to be, like, really tough <laughs> to do their job, and suddenly, like, this role becomes super badass. It's like, yeah, nowadays in this world, it's kind of like, oh, you're a giant, you're a giant nerd doing nerd. this surveying stuff, but, like, no, you had to beat the shit out of wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give me that. Give me the beefy nerd weird. So, any other, like, weird models you guys want to <laughs> see? Yeah, I know, I know. We got Dino Riders. I, that could maybe be Lords, but uh, Necropolis is not really an open thing for dinosaurs. I hear they got a Sphinx, though. <laughs> I want to see uh, someone actually, like, befriend a... Maybe not specifically a Nephilim, but I want to see someone befriend a Malifaux native. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's, yeah. That's not yeah, in my yeah. notes. Um, but I'm gonna take credit for this by <laughs> by saying like at some point I was like, you know it'd be cool, like a Nephilim Sacagawea. Ooh. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was we've we've proven that Nephilim can interact with humans in a non murderous manner. Well, he still murders, but But everybody all the time. But it, yeah, um oh geez, what I was forget his name. Barbaros. Okay, Barbaros. But Barbaros is hanging out with the outcasts now, and that, that's cool. So I want to see some more interaction between um, the natives and the humans. And so, like, yeah, I'd like a, Nef- a Nephilim guide would be super cool. To follow up on that, you could also, with a, a big game hunter, have someone with that with, like, a, a trapper uh, instead of a, a murderer. So <laughs> maybe they end up capturing some things we've seen before maybe like things from the other side maybe we get some gibbering hordes running around on leases oh no oh no you know what he's gonna do with these with these animals he's gonna take them back to his circus (laughs) aha so uh, yes oh god if we get like a ringmaster like 
Okay, we obviously we had the Dark Carnival, but I'm 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 definitely thinking more of like the uh, Barnum and Bailey kind of uh, situation. Oh, geez, that is a great idea. I mean, obviously, you'd still have to be evil because circus, but oh, we'd finally get it's, clowns. No, no, they they have to be evil because <laughs> Malifaux. and ain't no good guys in Malifaux. We'll I'm, get, I'm sorry to tell you, we we'll get clowns that also are clowns are evil. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Ah, uh, yeah. Explorer Society sounds awesome. Uh, like any anything else, guys? I didn't want to hopefully make this just all about me talking. No, you're good. Oh, yeah, okay. you're good. Like I, I guarantee you, I'm gonna be up all night thinking of other cool ideas that I'm gonna have better <laughs> answers for at three in the morning, uh, and I may text them to you. Oh hell yes. Uh, <laughs> but well, no, at the moment that's that's what I got. We'll have a follow up where we just read off the other ideas that we get. Yeah, or just in the next Friday night photo, I'll be like, okay, list all the things we didn't think of, of earlier. But yeah, I I kind of have an idea that they might do like different bi- a master for each biome. So I would think base would obviously be the Badlands, and then Lumberjack Man would be the Knotwoods, and the Ten Peaks would be our Polar Explorer. We'd need someone for the Bayou. Especially since they apparently already written, like, a how-to guide of not to die in the bayou. The Nephilim Guide. The Nephilim Guide. Oh, geez, Nephilim Master? Maybe. Maybe. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Ah! I'm so excited so, for this. So, so, new thought. New thought. Doomsday Preppers. Oh. Ah. <laughs> you should have seen the expression oh. on his face. But the problem is they would actually have a point. I know. Okay. <laughs> what would we call it? Survivalists, I guess. I, I, I guess I don't know. Or just I preppers. Just, I mean, I go for the full was, joke. I thought it was funny. So. It was funny, but I'm like, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could definitely, you would definitely have those in Malifo. Good, good God. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone get anything else before we wrap this up? All right, cool. Hey, I'm your host Doug, and with me as always, Victoria. Hey. Thank you both, Brian. It was a fun time, thank you. And Roman. Dinosaur Cavalry. For president. For, okay. You know what? I'll make that the title of this. All right. Great. <laughs> okay. Cheers, y'all. Thank you guys, as always, and everyone else listening. Uh, what do we always say, Victoria? Fun is always fun king. Fun is always king, yes. You heard it right. Also, we're sorry. I know this is not. This isn't. Friday night photo, but I feel like I still need to apologize. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Night. Bye bye. Songs used in this production are Villainous Treachery and Five Card Shuffle. All music is created by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.